ocean eyes. The ocean eyes. Some Billy. Yeah, I'm just giving you a little something for when you uh, <laughs> edit. <laughs> yeah, it just starts with me singing Billy Eilish. Become an addict of coffee, mm-hmm. which is kind of a shame, but you know, it helps me get through my day. All right, so welcome back, everyone, to Life People in Pursuit of Art. Today I have a genius director of photography, Michael Lindsay, joining us today. Hey, how's it going? Good, good, man. I uh, appreciate you coming by. Um, this is gonna be a lot of fun, and I'm gonna wait for this airplane to go past. Nice. Um, but um, yeah, I just want to open up with asking, uh, being that we've worked together, but I don't really know who Michael Lindsay is mm. um, on a, like a, I guess a personal level. So I just tell me your kind of story from the beginning and how you got into film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... And it's funny you say that because we've been talking about like going on a double day for a man. Right. We need to do that. But yeah, yeah, so um, I guess I'll start from the beginning because it is it is an interview. So, yeah, I grew up in Beaufort, Georgia, which is about like 45 minutes to an hour north of Atlanta. Um, And I always got good grades and stuff because I was like, that's just how you do it. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what I wanted to do. So then this one. Um, spring break, I just like listen, watched a whole bunch of movies. On that was back when I mean people could still do it, but that was back when like pirated mu- movies was like really popular. Mm-hmm. So I was like just watching all the movies I never got a chance to watch because I was like, oh man, like all these movies are free. So then I like watched, um, and I would buy the ones I, I liked. Uh, I watched Into the Wild, and I was like that movie just really affected me. I was like, wow, that's like the craft of it, the shot making. Mm-hmm. Um, Who was in that movie? It was. Emil, it was well. It's directed by Sean Penn. Okay. It's this is this actor who used to be really, really popular. His name was um, it's like Emil or something or something Hirsch or something. I can't remember exactly what he. But it, that was like one of the few movies he was the lead in. He was always like a supporting in something. Okay. <laughs> but basically, for those listening, it's like about a guy who gets fed up with society and he like um, and he just goes on foot to Alaska from Atlanta. So. That really affected me. I was like, I want to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, let me major in film. And then for some reason at the time, I didn't think that film was as realistic a business um, to get into as TV. Mm-hmm. Which So now I know it's just all the same. Like, right. <laughs> but then I was like, okay, well, let me major in t- TV. So then I went to Howard University, which uh, historically black college is like really it's like in the top 25 communication schools didn't know that at the time so that was really nice right a little accolade there yeah right i was like you know shouts out to you know howard because i just went because they gave me a scholarship i had then i got there and i was like oh this is actually like a really historical uh uh like communication school Mm -hmm. for black people um but anyway so then i got there and to do our our film our assignments were films short films basically like mm-hmm. every class we had to make short a short film right because it's the easiest way to learn how to do video right so learn by doing and then I would always like really go hard with the short films everybody else would just kind of turn whatever in and that's when I really realized I was like oh I really like filmmaking and I'm kind of a natural at it okay so that's when I kind of got into filming nice and then Howard University is that here in Georgia or is that in DC it's in DC okay mm-hmm. gotcha cool and how long were you in DC for. Uh, five years. Five years. I was okay. in there for five years. Yeah. Okay. So, r- side note, um, I'm going to DC next month. Mm-hmm. Any recommendations on 
where to stay. I mean, we already got figured out where we're going, but uh, me and my mother. But is there any areas of DC we should stay out of? <laughs> thinking that this is actually, oh, this looks great. And then, uh-huh. you know, next thing you know, you're, you know. Um, you know, I don't know if it's just because, like, I have, like, a, a very kind face or whatever. I've never had any problems, like, anywhere I went. Okay. Um, I mean, people know the Anacostia area in Southeast is, like, more. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Go ahead. More dangerous. Uh, well, let me say the whole sentence over so you can, like, edit and post. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know people know that the, people say that the Anacostia area, which is, like, southeast, it's, like, past the Anacostia River. Okay. That area is, like, the more, like, known for being dangerous area. But I used to work there all the time and bring a bunch, bunch of equipment in it. Like, it was okay. never a problem. Gotcha. But, yeah, I think with gentrification in D.C., it's insane. Like, in the five years I was there, it changed a lot. Oh, really? Yeah, like, it's insane. And so, like... I mean, there's so many areas in the city that you like. You don't even gotta worry about being a dangerous. It's like, can mm-hmm. you afford it? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like things okay. more like that. Gotcha. Okay. And then that was what time span? Because it's probably changed even more now. Right. Um, I moved back at this point. Um, coming up on two years ago. I think this. I think in March it'll be two years. Okay. So gotcha. yeah, and then I was there from 2012 to 2017. Okay. So. Mm-hmm okay interesting okay cool anyway um back to you um so tell me about your first short film and what was that what was the genre and how did that experience go for you mm. it's two answers to that because the first i have a first documentary short film and the first narrative one the documentary one i did in high school because it was like you could either turn in an essay or do mm-hmm. a documentary short film and i was like i'm obviously going to do a short film it's funny because no one else did <laughs> yeah. short film and i was like oh like this would be that was the obvious right. <laughs> better choice yeah um but then got to college in my first narrative short film i want to be honest about the first one because i did a few um yeah okay i remember the first one it was like similar situation we got assigned mm-hmm. a a um a assignment and the assignment was basically like make a film that's less than a minute and 10 and it's all 10 words less so then I decided to do a short film about a man who, like, wakes up in a random place and, like, he has a device on his neck that's, like, and then somebody calls him and is like, yo, you got a minute to live and you only have ten words to say. Oh, okay. Yeah, so then he, like, gets up and he runs and then he goes and tells his girl that he loves her and then he dies. That's basically the Okay. The so that's only three words. Well, you didn't have to use the entire ten. Oh, okay. It was just had to be under ten. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, you guys have call the police at six <laughs> help that, me that, that probably should have been <laughs> that probably should have been his words right but yeah okay um what are your your future endeavors and goals you know moving forward from today and onward mm-hmm. well immediately i literally just yesterday was uh, this week i've been planning so um immediately i have a few things like in terms of putting out my series of short films, uh, The Camera Loves Kyla. Mm-hmm. And so, for those listening, that's like about this um, this young woman who, she's looking for a job, she's kind of at a point where she feels lost in her life. And she, there, there's a, she, I don't want to give too much away, I'm still developing all the, like, the marketing word terminology, but basically she has a camera, 
that is like her best friend and it's she sees it everywhere it's like she thinks it's imaginary um but the keyword is that she thinks it's imaginary as it goes on we kind of find out like okay maybe this is more than what she originally thought and what we originally thought just watching the first short film so it's like a series of short films we shot three i'm editing the third one i'm still finishing up the second and uh we're we're gonna do the fourth one this year and so yeah like that's pretty much what in terms of film my film is my film career that's what i'm focused on right now because the idea is that that those we do those four mm-hmm. we send them to festivals and then i'm able to take that to investors and be like look like this is and then i want to eventually like be able to make profit off of those and then i can go to investors and say look i'm already kind of making money I, I have an idea of how i'm gonna do that right you know so like let's just go in on this together okay cool man turn it into a whole like uh superhero universe type thing. uh-huh what um I always try to think of like ways that and I think it'd just be interesting whether it happens or not like you know the films that we've done maybe not so much Trace because mm-hmm. I think that's just a whole different genre in itself um, but being that your films are a bit comedic mm-hmm. um, introducing I don't know how we would do it like introduce Sad Mad Glad in some way mm-hmm. um, like Parallel Universe or something Yeah. Um, I thought I think that'd be kind of interesting <laughs> considering you know your short films and my future film have the same character in themselves mm-hmm. so i think that'd be really interesting yeah yeah no that'd be funny and he's like <coughs> Dif- oh, sorry wrong pipe <coughs> okay go ahead yeah different he has different names we'll have to reconcile that but because it because it, originally he didn't have a name he was just the interviewer and now oh, okay. he, he has a name so we'll have to figure that out but yeah that could be funny that could be fun because i do like to have at least for that world that is definitely like a more lighthearted world than some of the stuff mm-hmm. that i want to do as a feature director eventually yeah so and i want to keep that that world going so we could that'd be definitely fun okay cool um would you ever join the union or would you just stay independent yeah i mean once it's financially advantageous right like right now if i joined the union i just wouldn't work because <laughs> i can't do anything right and then it's funny because i know a few people who are in the union and i guess they just like on the side like secretly do non-union stuff mm-hmm. because it's like it's it's still not la so it's like a lot of stuff is still non-union that mm-hmm. you know you get you can get on so yeah. it's like yeah, I'd, and then paying those dues. So I have nothing against it. It's just the idea of like paying the dues and mm-hmm. then not being able to like officially work non-union stuff. Right. That would be a problem for me. Yeah. Right now. Makes sense. Okay. Uh, hold on. Let's see. Sorry. Um. You know what? I have a list of questions to pull up. Um. So what what's your what's your creative process from coming up with an idea to you know hitting that export button? Mm-hmm. Um, you know I'm very blessed in the fact that a lot of this stuff just comes to me. Okay. It's not like I have to sit down and think about it. Like I the problem for me is more so I have ideas, so many ideas that I just don't have the resources to create yet. Mm-hmm. So it's like 
And I, but I have literally the entire thing outlined in my head. And it's like a thing of, okay, well, I should probably write it down just in case I meet somebody who has the ch- chance. Right. And then I could just, like, give them scripts. Like, oh, well, I have this idea. I have this. I could just pitch, pitch, pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, I'll be out running. And then I'll just – music helps a lot, mm-hmm. especially being a musician. I think there's a connection there because I'll be out running. And um, naturally – I think it's a form of synesthesia. Like, naturally – images come into my head if I'm mm-hmm. listening to a song I like so it could be sometimes there's a music video for that song and I'll file that away because I might not even if I don't do a music video for that direct that one I could use it for someone else mm-hmm. and then sometimes it's like I'll get a character so I have this idea um, I'm not going to go too in depth in it just because I think it's a good idea and well, you and me, we could talk about it in private. But just you know, just tell me it, everything, Mark. Put it, yeah, put it out. Put it out, put it out there for everyone to hear. <laughs> for everyone to hear. No, but it's this idea, kind of like a post-apocalyptic idea, and there's a lead character in it that I love already. I haven't written her at all. Her name's Roxy, but she's one of my favorite characters I came up with, and it's literally just from listening to like really aggressive hip hop. Okay. And it's like imagining this character that's like she's like said in the future, and it's like a post-apocalyptic world where the only music that they have is kind of like music from today's era. So, and then it's kind of like a lot of SoundCloud stuff because it's just like, that was the majority of the music created in this era. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you figure in a hundred years in the future, people aren't going to like look at it like, Oh, that SoundCloud rap, but this is real rap. You know, people are just going to look mm-hmm. at it like, Oh, it's just all music. So it's like, right. that's all she listened to growing up. And then having going through like this post apocalyptic time, she's super like edgy. So that's just an example of like, and then I just kind of craft it. I literally just going on runs, listening to music. I'll just add to it like okay well what if there was this scene and then I was Mm -hmm. like oh and then another scene will come to me and it's just scenes normally will just come to me and I'll just kind of like put them together in my head and then I have a whole thing and that can be for the short films and now it's all the way to the Mm. to the films okay interesting yeah I I find music to be also a big help um and really kind of like almost help me write dialogue Mm -hmm. you know like Mm -hmm. um I think when I uh hung up the phone Radiohead was playing and like that kind of like gets me inspired for like you know writing some of like the I guess you would call dark stuff mm-hmm. uh, for Trace and so um, without going too dark yeah because um, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. has to be at some point but um, what else what I want to know dang I had like all these questions formulated dang man. How about I just open up to you mm. and you just speak your mind? Yeah, well, let's just, we just do it like a conversation for real. Right. Um, but yeah, no, well, so what, um, <clears throat> speak, so like, I guess what music, I've always wanted to know what music you like, what music you like to listen to when you're writing and stuff like that. Um, honestly, I go on Spotify or YouTube and just like, listen, like go to like, you know, some of the best scored music of all time. Mm. Um, and I always find myself coming back to like either Hans Zimmer or John Williams. Um, like right now, like I know it's good, but I'm just like really attached to the dark Knight soundtrack mm. just cause it's so damn good. Yeah. You know? Um, cause I was just watching the dark Knight the other day. I'm like, this is so good. I forgot <laughs> how good this was. So yeah. like I use, you know, things like that. Um, yeah, what was there's one song it's like Lux Eterna or something like that mm-hmm. starts off Classic. real slow and then it just like builds up at yeah. the end it's da, great da, da, da. yeah yeah, da, da, da. yeah. Um, and then the other one I like is uh, from Matrix 
revolutions mm-hmm. uh like the fight scene music between mm-hmm. uh, neo and agent smith okay it's just classic and mm-hmm. it's just like very like i don't even know it just it like matches the beat of how i want the story to go mm-hmm. i don't know if that makes any sense yeah so, it totally does um and then it also depends on like what genre i'm writing to mm-hmm. um i find myself you know doing like a lot of like action dark mystery stuff like that um but like for writing sad mag glad it's a lot of like upbeat like temptations and things like that you know classic music um that's kind of inspiring and you know that has hints of like love and affection and you know romanticism and things like that so and that's you know that's a good question i think i'm glad you said that because i always wonder like what do you listen to when you're trying to listen to like make a comedy because it's like music most time isn't that funny so it's like if you're trying to like write something funny like what do you even listen to yeah so that's interesting but i could definitely see how like old school like just because the upbeatness of it Mm -hmm. it's so like nowadays music is more especially as a musician i'm super into like the eras and how they change like nowadays music is so like serious and so Mm -hmm. about problems and it's interesting because you bring up an interesting thing like back in those days it was so much of it was just about like Oh, it's a nice day. I love you. It's like super right. simple, like happier concepts. Mm-hmm. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, tell me about your music and how you got into that. And was that the first thing you got into or was it film and then music or vice versa? It was definitely music and then film. Music led, led me to film because okay. I neglected to mention the whole reason I watched Into the Wild in the first place is because Eddie Vedder, uh, lead singer for Pearl Jam, did mm-hmm. the music for it. And oh, so, really? Okay. Yeah. Pearl Jam is my favorite band. So Nice. They so I was like super into them and anything they did so I was like oh well he did the, I'm definitely gonna watch this movie mm-hmm. so but yeah no I've been playing I was I was a classically trained pianist from seven to to thirteen no fourteen and then I picked up the guitar at thirteen and then I was much better at the guitar than piano so I just mm-hmm. kind of stopped doing piano and which I regret because I need to like get better at it now because I'm as a producer Mm -hmm. but um but yeah so then I've been playing guitar ever since and then writing my own songs and stuff like Mm -hmm. that and um it took a really long time to get good I wasn't good until like literally last year like I'm making my own music I was good at playing other people's music but just Mm -hmm. writing your own music is like so hard yeah tell me about that process yeah it's so I just like literally last year got a process down that I really like and I think is fruitful and this year I'm releasing the music I made last year so it's like basically um I used to make hip-hop and then I was like you know what like why like it's just not like there wasn't really a lot going on in hip-hop I really connected to in that way Mm -hmm. like to want to make it it was just the fact that like I'd always made it because it was how I because I was in a rock band before and stuff like that and eventually just moved into hip hop because I like it's the I thought it was the easiest thing to do solo. Mm-hmm. Like so if, if I don't have a band I should make hip hop. But then it's like so I started just being like, you know what? Forget genres, like I'm just going to do whatever. So normally what it'll start with is uh now I start every song with the lyrics. So I'll write but I do it separately. So I, mm-hmm. every day I write a, a song idea. So I write a song idea let it sit for it might be months mm-hmm. and then i'll make beats and stuff separately but um the way i do it is start with the guitar part first and just improvise improvise mm-hmm. until i find something i like then i'll basically just improvise an entire song on the guitar um and then i'll cut up the best parts then i'll go through my lyric book find something that i like write uh like 
record a really just loose scratch vocal. Sometimes that ends up being the vocal on the actual track. Sometimes it just like to see if it matches. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's normally like a verse. Freestyle the hook. Freestyle the second verse. Kind of like freestyle it line by line. Like okay. going, record this line, record the next line, record the next line, record the next line. Mm-hmm. Then normally at that point I got a good demo going. Like that's, okay. a, that's the guitar and the vocal. And then after that, it's just having fun like adding drums adding bass adding mm-hmm. sc- like i like i like strings and everything i like okay. all my stuff to feel extremely like fully produced it's got strings it's got horns it's got like all the real instruments that it exists i mm-hmm. want them to be in every track okay so yeah like that's kind of the process and then I just produce it up mix it i used to be bad at mixing but now that i'm good at it it's fun right yeah and then because and then it's like then it's a good then it's a song and then it sits on my hard drive for like months and months and months until i'm like okay we can start releasing stuff okay which is i'm actually releasing a song on, on valentine's day so that's okay. how that so that's the first one out of many that i'll release this year and so that's what's going on for tonight yes okay. so yeah tonight we're we're filming a uh, a live performance okay of, one of, of the song i'm releasing on valentine's day. nice is this uh for any particular person or just generic <laughs> well yeah it's for this well this song actually isn't about I actually set the release date not thinking it was Valentine's. I just said it was like February fourteenth is a great day. It's the same day every year. Yeah, I know. I was like February fourteenth is just like that seems like a good day to release it. Yeah. I feel like there's a holiday. Is it like Columbus Day? I was like, nah, there's nah, no. Nah, <laughs> so then it just ended up, and it kind of is a romantic song. It kind of is, but it's not really. It and so, but it's funny because my girlfriend is on it. She does backing vocals. Oh really? Okay. Yeah, and then nice. so. Originally, she well, I wanted her in the video, but she won't be able to make it tonight. So, Bummer. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah. So she is on the backing vocals, and then I have a song that's about her that I've performed at open mics and people really like. It. But nice. if I was thinking, maybe I would have released that one first, but on Valentine's Day, but whatever. It's all good. Cool, man. Cool. Um, had another question. Um, oh, so when I first realized you did music. Uh, I think halfway through production of Sad Mad Glad, um, there was this, I guess, redubbing or remixing of uh, This Is a, is It This Is America? Yeah. Uh, so tell me about that. Uh, um, yeah, that's like, uh, I was trying to do, that was back when I was trying to do like different things to find my sound. So that was like a more political cut I had. The funny thing about it is um, I... All the music I made, like, up until maybe, like, nine months ago, I think it's trash now. So, like... Dude, that... I don't think that's... I mean, that song was not trash. Like, <laughs> I appreciate Like, I've that. heard, the, the obviously, the original, and then I heard your, like, remix of the lyrics. I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. I see I see Michael's political stance and where he stands <laughs> on certain issues. So, I'm like, okay. Yeah. I, well, yeah, because I think that... I like the way Childish Gambino did that song because yeah. it's, like, very laid back. Mm-hmm. His flow, everything is so laid back, and he's giving you a lot politically about mm-hmm. America with still saying very little. Right. But that beat to me is so hard that it's like you could kind of just go crazy on it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, let me go crazy on it. I'll still find my voice. So nowadays, I'll never rap that hype. Part yeah. of, I was like, kind of like halfway yelling, because um, I, I, that I was trying to see like, I, should I be a high energy rapper? Should I be a mm-hmm. low energy rapper? So that was one of the more high energy tracks. Mm-hmm. So yeah. But that was a good one. I can't even just be. I think it was like a general like America sucks type of song. I can't even remember exactly any of the lyrics to be honest. I think um, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of a conspiracy theorist, so it's like a lot of different things that I can talk about that I'm like, well, not even a conspiracy theorist. Like a lot of the conspiracies I, 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 I know are like backed up mm-hmm. by like CIA documents and things like that. Right. So it's like I it's just more so that I there was a period probably in high school where I got really into the weeds on like all the messed up things America's done. Right. And so like I have all these just like little tidbits of information in the back of my head about floating and waiting for that conversation to strike up. Hey, by the way. Yeah. And then 30 hours later, (laughs) exactly. I've converted this person. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Dang. I need to go somewhere else. Right. Right. Uh, Right. Uh, just out of curiosity, name some of those conspiracies. Mm, Okay. Well, backed up by facts. Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So like, the one that's always floating around in my head that's crazy to me, and I actually did write this, and I it'll come up in a few of my songs, is like the government, and this is all backed up by CIA documents, mm-hmm. and um, I have a funny story about people not believing stuff backed up by CIA documents, but anyway, I'll say that after I say that thing. So mm-hmm. um, there was this, in the 60s, the government created this group called the Pro that was under the CIA, and basically the entire function was just to disrupt uh, the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. So it's like um, they were the people. Have you ever seen Selma? No. Okay. So in Selma, which is about Martin Luther King, there's like all these different <clears throat> FBI uh, investigations that are happening to Martin Luther King as he's trying to do his thing. And like they're like sending fake sex voicemails to his wife to think he make him think he's cheating which is oh, another because wow. there's nothing in the black community people like just just assume martin luther king was a cheater which i think is like i think it's ridiculous because it's like we know that the government was like it was releasing di- misinformation about martin luther king mm-hmm. and part of that was that he was a cheater so i'm like i mean he might have been but the idea that the fact that in the black community we just all think he was a cheater is like mm-hmm. maybe we shouldn't think that because that we know that it was conspiracy to make us think that. So right. I think we're kind of buying into it. But anyway, so they did stuff like that. But as it went on, as the civil rights movement started gaining more power, they got more and more violent, more and more. That Cointel Pro group mm-hmm. got more and more. Um, they got more and more active in terms of like not just sending threatening letters and things like that, but really like bombing out uh, buildings and like. Uh, physically threatening and beating up Black Panther members and things like that. Mm-hmm. And actually it culminated with the assassination of the leader of the Black Panthers in, I think, Chicago. His name was Huey Newton. Okay. And Huey Newton, the thing is about the Black Panthers, the Black Panthers in a lot of, I didn't even realize this until Beyonce did that Black Panther-inspired performance at the Super Bowl. Okay. I didn't realize so many people thought the Black Panthers were like a terrorist organization. And they're really, like, they were just a community organization. It was the Pro. That coined that. Yeah, like they yeah. they put out all the misinformation and stuff, and, and um, they were the ones like releasing pamphlets and stuff saying, hey, like be careful because the Black Panthers are terrorists, da da da. Mm-hmm. They were the ones saying all that. In reality, yeah. the Black Panthers were just a community organization and they helped. Like, they would literally do things like give turkeys out on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And like, if you needed money because you were short and rent, you had kids, like you could like go to them and they might help you out. Like it was stuff like that. Right. It's it, more community based. Yeah. It was just community based. And then like the, and actually it's funny because the reason why uh, you can have like automatic rifles and stuff is because the black Panthers believed in arming yourselves because the cops like today, but especially back then were literally just going to black com- communities and killing people. Mm-hmm. So they were like, well, they're not, 
it's not like we can go to the law and be like, hey, this cop killed my fr- my brother because they're just it's it, they we can't do that now. And right. then you're talking about the '60s, like yeah. So they were like, well, let's just get armed, mm-hmm. and that way, if a cop is doing something, at least they know that their life is on the line too. Right. That was it. They weren't going out and killing cops. They weren't doing anything. Right. They're just practicing their rights. Right. And so to the to to your point, um, they eventually. They went to, like, the Supreme Court, like, they got challenged because they were, I remember, because there was this case where a cop was, uh, was, uh, was, like, violently arresting this kid for no reason. Mm-hmm. So then a bunch of, like, Panther members, they stood out there with their guns. They, they didn't point them at nothing, they just stood there with their guns, like, okay, yep. if you do something, we got you. Mm-hmm. So they, uh, they all got arrested, and they basically, they went to court, and they were like, look, like, we have the right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and basically that's like the reason today why you can have open carry laws. Yeah, is because of the Black Panthers. Mm. So it's like, and it's funny because now the NRA and stuff is like is like, you know, anti a lot of stuff that the Black Panthers would stand for, and mm-hmm. it's like well, that's a whole other conversation. But right. basically, they killed Huey Newton, the government killed Huey Newton, which was a community organization leader, and just because he was. A leader of the Black Panthers, hmm. and he was just helping, like literally, like he did, gave so many people food, like he yeah. like opened up so many different soup kitchens and things like that. And it's like they killed him, you know what I mean? Just because he was the leader of the Black Panther Party in right. that organ, in that area. So hmm. that's my that's the one that I think about the most because it was just like a blatant assassination of someone yeah. who didn't deserve it, you know? Okay, interesting. And then there's also like they gave like the CIA introduced crack into the inner city community. I think, I think we've briefly talked about this. Yeah, yeah. like because because like Iran Contra, like at the same time, it was like oh, that was a whole shit show. Yeah, like that's how crack got in the community because it was like they had to they were selling guns to the they were selling guns to these people. And, but they were like, they didn't have any money to pay them for the guns, but they needed to get the guns off. So it was like, cause they wanted to like do the thing, topple governments as America does. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, well, all they have is cocaine. So we'll take the cocaine, but we, now we just have a bunch of cocaine. Like, so what do we do with it? So then then Ronald Reagan and then we're like, oh, I know what we can do. Let's just offload it in the black community. That solves two problems at once. Cause at the eighties, more black people going to college, more black people had like we're middle class than ever before. Even to like, we just got back like after the crack epidemic, like recently now mm-hmm. we're at a point where just as many black people going to college as the eighties. Right. Um, so they see all these black men gaining power in politics. They see black men gaining power in, um, in community organizations and stuff in the eighties. And they were like, okay, let's like create this thing called crack, put it in their communities, tears down the community. And then that way, like the, the Republican party, which was in power at the time could like, keep from uh losing their power because black people mm-hmm. don't historically vote republican right and then at the same time you get off all this cocaine that you just bought from the contras it was like a win-win yeah so that's another conspiracy hmm. interesting have you um it's not so much a conspiracy <clears throat> as it is just more of like an interesting historical event uh the i don't know if you watched the show watchmen have you seen it? I saw the first episode. Okay, so they go into about the, the, uh, the incident in Tulsa, mm-hmm. and I mean, obviously they turn the story a little bit, the actual the facts of what actually happened, um, for the storyline. But I was listening to a podcast, and they were talking about how, like, they would just 
go and murder a bunch of these communities. I think Greenwood, Greenwood was a huge community in this event. And they, I think in this area, there was a bunch of like rich black millionaires at the time, which in 1927 or something like that, it's kind of unheard of. And um, like, I don't know the full, I mean, I'm trying to recall some of the key points, but one of them was because they, the, the town or area where this community lived got bombed. I couldn't think, well, the government wasn't necessarily bombing them. So what had happened was, I think it was either KKK or just some self-entitled white people group, uh, rogue kind of people, actually ended up stealing these people's planes, these black mm. community millionaires' planes, and then bombing them. Mm. And so I thought that was really fascinating. Because wow, yeah. I was like, I was wondering where you're getting the planes from. Because the government's like, hey, guys, oh, you want to go to the bombs community? Cool. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like that. So to hear that was fascinating because, mm. um, I, don't, I don't know, it just it blows my mind. And this was in 1927. Obviously, if that happened today, like, it wouldn't happen today. Mm. But just to hear that that kind of behavior was going on really makes my stomach sick, you know, to think that's, you know, acceptable. And uh, it just blows my mind. And what's crazy is it happened. Like that was a thing. Like it happened multiple times. Like my, my company Rosewood work is named after another community in Florida that was similar to Greenwood. That was really Mm -hmm. a thriving center of black business named Mm -hmm. Rosewood. And it got bombed out too. Mm. And then there's the Baltimore city bombings where there's a funk song that goes like, you dropped a bomb on me, baby. That's, okay. that's about yeah that's about the Baltimore City bombing hmm. so that's like basically the cops did that one and it's like I think that was the Black Panthers um, and basically the cops like were trying to shut them down and mm-hmm. ended up in like this standoff and then they just bombed the entire apartment building wow. and with everybody inside who even including people who weren't involved in the standoff that's so, crazy yeah like that was the thing they did just bombing you and know you just I mean? never hear those stuff on the news or right. historical fact mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You say it couldn't happen today. I don't think it could happen. It wouldn't, of course, people wouldn't just go along with it like they did back yeah. then. Like that, of course, then they were just like, oh, the black area town got bombed. Yay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Hey, cool. Uh, we can move in now and take over. Right, right. Um, but I don't know, man. I think I just see the certain things going on in the news, like whether it was like in Wyoming, there was that city that got taken over by the militia group. And then that was like a few years ago. Okay. I can't remember his name. Uh, but that's happened a few times in those Midwestern cities. Mm-hmm. And then when you combine that with what you see in like Charlottesville and you yeah. see all the alt-right people, I think that, I think you, sadly, I do think that sometime in our lifetime, we are going to see like, not necessarily like a race war, but like, I think we are going to see some sort of mass like battle and it might happen out like some rural area mm-hmm. where like maybe like the alt-right militia tries to take over and people have to defend themselves. Cause I think yeah. that's something that's just like ever since really David Koresh in the eighties, like that's something that has been like those alt-right militia groups have been trying to like take cities over every now and mm-hmm. then. And then if there's enough black people there, I think that, or even not even just black people, like it could be, it could be Muslim people. It could be any group. Yeah. It could be yeah. any group. Like, cause nowadays it's just like the, the hatred is spread is diverse. It's like, yeah. the hatred itself is diverse, which is yeah. funny. So, right. <clears throat> yeah. I'm trying not to go too political, but, um, I think that has something to do with the last four years. Mm. Um, and a slow buildup of that mm-hmm. over like, the last maybe eight. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like there's just been that underlying tone and yeah. then it kind of just like exponentially exploded. Mm-hmm. in 2016 
Yeah, I agree with you because I think that I, I think that people people and you know to all the anybody who's out, who's listening who's like a fan of Trump. I don't. I want you. To, I want to shoot you some bail and say people always try to make it seem like Trump started racism in America. No, and it's like, come on, like it's it's been racism, just xenophobia in general has been. I mean, um, like I've been reading the Bible all the way through again, and like. It's in the Bible, like, like people in the Bible, like the Romans colonized the Jews in the Bible. Like people, this is just how people operate. For some right. reason, like for that, ever since there have been people, for some of you, just can't get that we're all humans. Like we, mm-hmm. there's always got to be some difference. That right, we, that's just nature. Yeah, it's so weird. Like there's no other animal on Earth that does that. Right. I don't know why humans are like that. It's weird. Because we're conscious and unconscious at the same time. Yeah, you look. It's like you look at animals. You see those videos of like. A horse and a duck being best friends. Right. <laughs> it's like... Like, they don't know that they're horses and ducks. They right. just coexist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Which I find very fascinating. But um, did you watch the Oscars? No, I didn't. You didn't? I, do, I make it a point not to watch award shows. Really? Except... You're the second person to tell me that in, like, last week. Mm, I think it's catching on. Okay. I think more and more people are like, you know what? Like, why do we care? Yeah. You know? I just... I, I, I really like... Um, not so much the the award itself, but the people that win the awards and what they have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't know if you saw clips of, like, Joaquin Phoenix's speech yeah, when he I won did. Best Actor. Like, that was really important. Mm-hmm. And I think people needed to hear that. Um, and then also, like, at the Grammys when Alicia Keys, you know, highlighting Kobe and then other things when she's singing that remix of, um, what's his name? Um, I can't think of the artist's name, but the song. I know I'm being vague right now, so it doesn't make any sense. Mm. Ah, dang, what is his name? Um. Anyway, I I don't know if you watch the Grammys. Yeah. I know you, you didn't watch that one either. <laughs> I know you just said you don't watch award shows, but um. And it was she kind of like was singing some important things that probably should happen, mm. not just culturally in America but worldwide. I think I saw a clip of it. Yeah. Yeah, she was like, "We need no like." sexism no right she was right. like going on yeah and she was just saying like one line in her her remix was like uh the bad guys win when the good guys do nothing mm-hmm. and so i think that speaks volumes for today's culture and yeah. what's going on in america so i agree i think um i mean you hear but like <clears throat> you hear that that's a quote that's been um remixed a bunch of times because i remember yeah. you could say it like oh um there was like a, a war general or somebody who was like, oh, the evil is just the absence of like good. It's like mm-hmm. when people, when you don't stand up for something, mm-hmm. that's all it takes for evil to like move in. Mm-hmm. It's not even like a thing of like, oh, you have to try to be evil. No, evil is just like the opposite of not doing the, the right thing. Right. So it's like if you just don't, if you do a neutral thing, then the bad thing is, like she said, is gonna like come in no matter right. what. Right. Yeah. So I just find that interesting. Um, yeah, and he also talked about his brother, like very, very briefly. And when he came up there, you could tell he was nervous as hell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, he'd like mm-hmm. when they started to clap. He's like, "No, no, no, be quiet, stop." He's like, <laughs> yeah. "I have something to say." Yeah. And then um, at the end, when he wanted to quote his brother from a lyric that he wrote, he got choked up. Mm-hmm. Like he was holding back tears mm-hmm. because it was just so hard for him. And he was nervous. Yeah. So I've never seen anyone, you know, be that nervous mm-hmm. in that kind of limelight. Yeah. 
And you know he's been on the on the a tour of wokeness. I called it last night when me and my girlfriend were called, uh, talking about it. He's like mm-hmm. on a woke tour because it's like woke tour. Yeah, he won a, some other award and he was talking about how the industry is racist and how they don't give enough. Like the BAFTA awards? Yeah, I think it was the BAFTAs. Yeah. And he, he did that speech and it's funny because he sounded nervous in that one too. He was like, I, I So you it. did watch an award show? I watched the clip. <laughs> <laughs> Liar. <laughs> no, I watched the clip of him saying that. Um, but I, I would watch an award show if it's like by the right people. It's got to just feel like, it's got to feel... Well, first of all, I, I was thinking about it. And I was like, you know, aside from all the like problematic stuff around a lot of the award shows, mm-hmm. maybe the people in the industry are the last people that should be counting what's the best movies because we're too close to it. Yeah, It's like they say, if you're too close to something, you can't really see right. whether it's good. So maybe the people who should be saying what's the best movie should be like an audience, the audience. You know right. what I mean? Like, why do we, it, when you think about it, the last people who should be saying this is the best movie are all of the actors and stuff. The people and, that actually made the movie. Right. And when right. you think about that, ties to it. Like, yeah. when you think about it, it's actually just a silly idea in general. Right. So, if it's like the certain award shows that feel like outside of the industry, mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, that's that's cool. Yeah. Are you aware that the Academy is rigged? Am I aware that it's rigged? Yeah. Now tell me about this. Yeah, so... Uh, I can't go on, I don't know the specifics, but there's this great show called, uh, Adam ruins everything. Mm-hmm. And there's an episode, you could probably look it up on like YouTube I think I saw a clip of and it. he talks about how basically the studios mm-hmm. have this, like a, just this massive marketing budget mm-hmm. and that really drives that into the heads of the Academy and they basically buy their way to an Oscar. Mm-hmm. So, and that's just like a very simplified version of it that goes more in depth. Um, but yeah, you can basically buy your Oscar if you wanted. I think uh, I saw. I think it's coming back to me because he said like you, you could um, like they do these parties with like ten thousand dollar gift bags. Yeah, yeah. And they invite you know these huge heads yeah. from the academy. Like, oh, this is great. And then they talk about their movie yeah. and you know talk about marketing materials and how potential big potential it has. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't. I wouldn't say that always happens. Um, because Parasite just won Best Picture, mm-hmm. and I can't, you know, speak for them because it was a South Korean film, so I didn't know what kind of ties right. they have. Um, but I always thought in the back of my mind that did they nominate Parasite because they're trying to be more diverse? Mm-hmm. You know, like did, like I haven't seen the movie, so I can't say if it's good or bad. But I just hope that they actually nominate it because it was a really fantastic film, mm-hmm. or did they nominate because? It's a uh, foreign yeah. and it's not something that would be considered whitewashed. Yeah. I was thinking, cause every now and then a foreign movie will get nominated. I was thinking that maybe it won because like they were trying to avoid, they're like, oh, here goes another year where all the nominees are white. They're going right. to say Oscar's so white here. Let's just let this film win. And then that way we can say, look, like we let Parasite win. Right. Like, you know, yeah. y'all got something. Yeah. I just hope that. And it's a weird, it's a weird thing to talk about because I almost sound cynical mm. when I ask those questions. Um, but it's just something that's always been in my mind, mm-hmm. you know, with the, you know, hashtag Oscar so white or whatever that hashtag is. Um, but I mean, I started watching Jojo Rabbit, mm-hmm. uh, and based on the first ten minutes, I love it. Like Taika Waititi is just a great director, mm-hmm. and you know, being the double, pulling the double like um, Hitchcock. Uh, like but, acting in it yeah but time. just doing more obviously than hitchcock did mm-hmm. um find it really fascinating so and he's got a good sense of humor 
Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I'm not a huge historical fiction person, okay. so that that movie didn't really interest me on the surface. But I might watch it because I love Scarlett Johansson, mm-hmm. so I might want to. I, I try to watch everything she's in. Scarlett Johansson and Rosario Dawson. I used to be my wives, mm-hmm. and then I was like, I'm getting married to like a real person that I'm <laughs> right. <laughs> like so. Right, you have your Hollywood. <laughs> Hall pass list. Yeah, I was like, I was like, oh no, I know Kayla. She ain't going for that. So I'm like, there's no hall passes. <laughs> there's no hall passes. So I was like, they could just be like, my, I'm just a fan of them now. Yeah, so I was all that. Like, I try to like watch everything they're in. So I might end up watching that. Smart, you watered it down to fan of. Yeah, I'm a fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fan of uh, uh, what is her name? Um. See, I should know this. Uh, she was in Jurassic Park movies. Oh, I just disconnected. Jessica, my, Ch- oh, you did you? My headphones somehow. Jessica Chastain. Try that one. You testing, good? testing. Can you hear yourself? I think it's up here, actually. I can hear you. Checking. Oh man. Yeah, these aren't. I accidentally like hit the wire. Okay. Testing. Good. Okay, I'm okay, good. Cool. I got it. Yeah. Um. Oh yeah, Jessica Chastain. She's an amazing actress. She really is. Yeah. Yeah. I liked her a lot in, um, actually, Black Mirror. She was in Black Mirror. She was in an episode of Black Mirror. She was a, uh, she was a woman who's like super addicted to like social media. Like you can tell it was Instagram. That's not just that's Bryce that's Bryce Dallas Howard. Is it? Oh shit. Yeah. They uh, look exactly alike. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Bryce Dallas Howard. So she was in that. And uh, you haven't seen that episode. I've seen that episode. Okay, yeah. so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, I like that. Um, anything Black Mirror. What is that woman's name? She was in Black Panther. She was Shuri. I can't think of her real name. Oh, oh, um. She was the super is smart. Le, Le, well, there's Letitia Wright was the person who did that, but that, I think you're thinking about uh, Lapita Nyong'o. I think so. Yeah. Which because she was in Twelve Years a Slave too. I think so. I have to rewatch that movie and find out. Um, what else was she? Was she in Us? The woman from Us? Uh, no, that was someone else. Okay, I, so you're not thinking about Lupita Nyong'o. No. So is it Letitia Wright? We have to look this up. Yeah. But she was in Black Mirror too. Um, I think that is Letitia. And Wright. I think she's British, so that makes more sense. That's why she's in that show. So this is the break in the podcast where we Google right. the person <laughs> we're talking about. Is it this person? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she was in an episode of Black Mirror, and uh, have you seen all the seasons of Black Mirror? Mm-hmm. Okay. I've so she. So she was the one where she went to this museum, mm, where like this person that. was like in a CG, like a CG, not CGI, like a a data prison where she yeah. was like a hologram. That was really fascinating. Yeah. Um, Man, Black Mirror. How do you feel about it overall? Like, how do you feel like it's gone? Um, I, I know, uh, overall, I just enjoy every episode, whether they're tied to each other in some ways and, and others are not. Um, I know that they, for the most part, they have tried tying everything in together. Um, but just the fact that they experiment with different ideas, mm-hmm. like, like the whole contact issue, like where they can replay their memories. Like that's just genius. Mm. You know, things that uh, generally would not, I guess, work well in mainstream film television. Mm. They're able to get away with that. Yeah. So. Yeah. The, the writing on that show is really, really, really good. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I think the only thing is, and it's through no, the reason I brought it said that overall, how do you feel about it? Because, and it's through no fault of them, but I think it's a lesson in, in storytelling mm-hmm. is that I think they're running out of ideas. Because I've noticed in the last couple of seasons, some of the concepts feel like, y'all have done this before like y'all mm-hmm. just this is a different flavor of it right like the virtual reality game where like and the newest one where it's like the two guys fell in love through the game oh yeah it's like that. that's kind of like the two girls that fell in love in San Junipero mm-hmm. like, through the virtual reality game right or like um like the toy or like how you just mentioned how the person got trapped in like the virtual reality mm-hmm. like hologram thing mm-hmm. it's kind of like how um Miley Cyrus got trapped in the, yeah. in the doll. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, but it's not even through the fault of their own because it's like, how many stories can you make about technology in the future right. before it's like, okay, well, it's not the future. So we kind of right. can only predict so much. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing that's like, as, as a screenwriter, I'm always trying to like see the, the walls people run into. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when it's like, oh, okay, like they might have, because I think it was only supposed to go like one or two seasons. I don't think it yeah. was actually supposed to be like an ongoing show. Yeah. So it's like, I think they painted themselves into a corner a little bit by saying every episode has to be about technology in the future. Like, right. you can't just make like a future post apocalyptic one where they don't have any technology. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, that was kind of like Metalhead, the one that was black and white and mm-hmm. she was running from the thing. Yeah, the robot dog. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that was kind of like that. But. A little bit, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that. It's like, okay, maybe that is kind of a specific premise and there might mm-hmm. be only so much that you can do with that. So like if I'm coming up with the show, try to it may told me like, okay, try to leave stuff as open ended as possible. Because mm-hmm. even like technology in the future seems like you could come up with end- endless ideas. Right. And I still feel like they're kinda like, okay, four seasons in, like, uh, we're kinda losing steam a bit. Yeah. There was a I guess what's your favorite episode? My favorite episode of Black Mirror. Probably the one that just pops in my head off the top is um the one where they are in like the the girl is like the people who killed the kid and so they they're like doomed to like forever like be hunted and it was oh, like, like uh white bear yeah yeah white bear is really good yeah i really enjoy that one and i like shut up and dance shut up and the, dance i think that's that's the one i think if i'm getting the titles correct that's the one about the pedophile we're just spoiling because I'm saying them by the twist. Right. <laughs> like, They'll be like, oh, dang. I never watched a show. Oh, not anymore. Right, right. Um, I'm trying to think of that one, the pedophile. He was like, he got, he was looking at, you don't see what he's looking at at first. He's looking at something on the computer and like, it turns out he was being recorded. And so they like make him do all these increasingly crazy things. Oh, you know what? I think it's starting to come back to me now. Yeah. It's like on a cell phone or something. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... The one I recall the most was the video game one, where they were testing the video game. Oh, the, and it was like fear based. That was really good. And like that at the end, scary. you realize like one point two seconds was taking place during mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah. It was like obviously a thirty minute episode. Uh, I thought that was really fascinating. That was fascinating because that is like going to happen. Like, right. <laughs> like when you see virtual, re- like I watch, uh, I watch a couple of game YouTubers, mm-hmm. and. Uh, or let's players i don't know the official name mm-hmm. but it's like and they do the vr video games and the vr horror games like there's this one walking dead one that is incredibly realistic like it's so crazy like you taking like t- 
to like for instance it's a survival game right so mm-hmm. like to get your backpack you literally reach behind your bag oh, really? and you pull the backpack out and then it's like to reload the gun you literally like, like take pull a and, clip and yeah it's crazy and then like to kill a walker you literally have to like stab him in the head and it knows how fast you move your hand so you have to actually move at a speed that will work oh really so it's, it's so immersive when you watch them play and i'm like that's crazy because when you think about this is 2020 like mm-hmm. imagine in 10 years 10 years just 20 that. years 30 years like right it is gonna be like the black mirror episode where they just attach something to your right your, forehead yeah your temple and it just scans your brain and exactly. then exactly into the matrix mm-hmm. you go um i would be interesting i think there's companies that are coming out with stuff like that i don't know if they if they're doing what you talked about in their own home or are they actually like somewhere no, they're in their own home. Okay. Yeah, like it's like you can buy it online now. Oh, really? Yeah, I think the the headsets are like one fifty or something. Well, like that's that. not bad. Yeah, it's not. It's not even super expensive. That's yeah. There, there's videos on YouTube. You know, Google Cardboard. You can mm-hmm. slide your phone in, and they have I don't know the augmented reality. Yeah. Where, and uh, those were really fun to do. They're very disorienting. Uh, yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. Especially because those are like augmented reality, right? So it's like mm-hmm. it just places stuff in your environment that's yeah. real. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's even trippier because it's not like you're putting on a whole headset mm-hmm. and it's just like a video game basically. Like that's like yeah. it's somehow it can line up mm-hmm. with the actual environment. Yeah. That's trippy. That would be trippy. I think that's the next step. I think so too. I have a I have a theory though about I feel like <clears throat> I feel like we always assume technology is just going to go and go and go forever because mm-hmm. for the last hundred years we've come so far. Mm-hmm. But I think that with global warming and stuff, I think in the next 20 to 50 years, we're going to hit a dip where we can't produce anything because it's like, oh, wait, we got to figure out global warming. Cause right. We're going to stop and utilize the resources for other means. Yeah, because it's like right now everyone's just burning up oil, creating all these plastics so that they can go into technology and stuff. But it's like I listen to a podcast that really like it it would like made me like oh man think like the apocalypse is nigh Mm -hmm. because it was like they were like okay so oil is gonna like they know oil is gonna run out within the next like 50 years yeah like all the oil in the world is gonna run out and it's like it it's like you think okay well we have electric cars like we can figure that out but then the the podcast they made me realize they talked about everything that oil goes into Mm -hmm. and it's like plastic you can't make plastic without oil it's like and it's like so much stuff. You just look around anywhere you go. Right. How much stuff around you is plastic? Person listens to the, the recorder is made out of plastic. Right. Like if you're listening to this, I just like go through your room and just count all the plastics that you'll lose count. Like there's right. so much plastic and it's like, and so it's like, if you can't make plastic and then like, Oh, well we'll make electric cars. Well, where do you think we make electricity from? Right. We make it from burning oil. Like, right. So it's like, we're just like completely screwed. Like there's so much stuff that we need to figure out before global warming and before we run out of oil. And I think that we're going to, there's going to be a point in the next 30 to 50 years where everyone has like, we have to kind of stop working on all this cool technology like VR and like figure out, okay, how are we actually going to like cool down the planet though? Yeah. Uh, just do like they did in Futurama. They just drop a huge ass block of ice in the ocean <laughs> every like 10 years or something. Right, right. And it just cools the water off. And yeah, that's how they figured it out. No, um, I think, I hate to sound like, you know, an anarchist, but I don't think we're going to prioritize quick enough. Mm -hmm. And then there's just going to be major conflicts going on. Mm -hmm. Um, if we all don't get wiped out by the coronavirus, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, China is basically a ghost town, but you know, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, no. Um, I would just think that 
we, I think we have the technology currently. Mm-hmm. There's just not a high enough demand. Mm-hmm. And if the oil were to, in fact, run out, um, I don't think... We obviously, we'd have to, like, like, the entire world would have to restructure how we consume and make things. Um, but I think we would just have to figure out I don't know what solar panels solar solar panels are made of. Mm-hmm. I would assume metal, but you know we'd have to like make you know massive farms. Yeah. Um, basically, like make. I don't know. I would just say like gen, like designate, you know, like Kansas mm-hmm. is going to be the new power farm state. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone get out. You know what I'm saying? Just like, yeah. That's extreme, but... No, I mean, it's definitely... You touched on some good things. Or even just like, they do it now. They have floating solar farms in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know how they get power back to the land, but... Right, it's a good question. Yeah, so... And hopefully those cables are probably made of plastic. So. <laughs> right. But, um, I mean, I guess there's enough plastic already mm-hmm. that if we just... I mean, there's... I think there's this plastic island the size of like new hampshire just floating in the ocean like yeah if we just that. figure out how to recycle more because the united states doesn't recycle their plastic anymore yeah trying to stop buying it exactly so yeah. it's just like what what's happening to it now it's just going in the landfills mm-hmm. and um i know i find it interesting also that i lived in charlotte for three years and in that those three years they had a landfill in the small it's like a suburb of charlotte's called concord and they had the landfill, and over that three years, they had to build it up, mm-hmm. like four different times, because it's just people kept moving to Charlotte, and mm-hmm. the population kept growing, and so just like instead of fixing the problem, they just kept you know yeah, raising on. the ceiling. So, um, anyway, go ahead. No, I'm I'm just taking it in. I think yeah, I'm I thinking that, but you know, it's interesting because I always think one of the things like you know how like we look back at when like people could smoke in restaurants and be like how do you just like right. smoke in a restaurant that's crazy mm-hmm. i feel like our kids are going to be like or if not our kids our kids kids are going to be like what well, you could just get in a car and go wherever you want like there's probably going to be like quotas on driving mm-hmm. like because it like burns so much like you know to like try enough to keep down the toxic emissions and mm-hmm. stuff like that they're probably going to be like okay you can't just drive wherever you want you got to drive a certain amount you got to report to the government how much you drive right you're gonna fine if you don't it's probably gonna be stuff like that where our kids are like i can't believe y'all could just get in the car and drive somewhere how many emissions was that mm-hmm. and we're like we didn't think about emissions yeah and like you didn't think about emissions like well, now know? we have to wear you know gas masks and right because air is so polluted mm-hmm. um yeah that'll be interesting to see what happens yeah and you know that yeah it's interesting because the thing is is like Whenever you get to, get to talking about this stuff, people always lead the conversation like, "Oh, well, that was a downer." It's like, what the? I mean, this is gonna real. It's happening right now. Yeah, it's the problem now. Yeah, it's like only it's gonna get worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hmm. Where you? Where do you even move on after you talk about like the apocalypse? Um, <laughs> well, maybe we should get back to film. Yeah, film. Film is great. <laughs> it can be positive. Let's talk about post-apocalyptic films. <laughs> yeah, so uh, kind of picking back up what we were talking about earlier with uh, Winnie is her name. Yeah, so she does like clothing overhauls, mm-hmm. and she basically goes to like Ross's and like uh, Rue Twenty One and all these you know, f- I guess female targeted mark uh, stores, 
She tries on clothes. She goes in. I've never watched them. I just seen the thumbnails, and uh, she just tries on different clothes and like, gives her opinion and stuff like that. And uh, I think I don't know Rihanna's the name of her clothing line, but they would send her clothes. Fenty. Yeah. So they would send her clothes, and uh, and she'd try them on and make videos, and people love that stuff. But she uh, she wasn't. I thought once you get to like that certain amount of like subscribers, you like you know your cash flow starts increasing. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's like, no, not really. <laughs> I was like, dang. But like, even to have, like, I guess us as filmmakers, if mm-hmm. we, you know, you and I had both 18,000 each, like that's huge. Yeah. Like I would start marketing t-shirts and sweatshirts and stuff like that. I hear that's where you really make this merch. Yeah. 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 Forget your views, you know, add revenue sense. Like, yeah, you'll make money, but you know, sponsorships and yeah. merchandise sales is where it's at. So. Uh, I think, you know, it's funny that you, that we're talking about this because one thing I've been thinking about recently is, is another, as an artist, this is a scary thing and it's also a positive thing. So I'm trying to parse it out, but it's like, um, nowadays so much of the monet, like the f- money from art doesn't come from the art. Like if you make music stream, a stream is not, is worth like point zero zero something cents. Right. It's like. And no one sells albums anymore, so everything's about the like the streams. Everything's about well, not even the streams. Everything's about like selling merch. Okay. That's how you really make your money: selling mm-hmm. merch, um, doing those. You know how like artists will do like the bundle deals and stuff, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh well, if you buy this album, you get a free pizza. Right. Like that's how <laughs> from Little Caesars, right? Like that's how you make the money, and then and you make the money from sponsorship deals, basically, mm-hmm. right? And and then people come into your shows if you're an artist, but then it's like if you're a like. Um, you know, like a YouTuber, they make their money not from the ad revenue, really, but from doing, like you said, the sponsorship deals and mm-hmm. stuff. So it's like, and definitely don't make the money from any sort of like people just watching the video. Right. So it's like, it's interesting as an artist or a creator or whatever you want to call yourself, because it's like, you don't, you're, you can't just be good at the art anymore. You have to be good at the art plus the commerce that has to come to support the art. Right. And it's like. That is so difficult because, like you, you used to just be good, able to be good at like making movies, and then mm-hmm. some, and then like they'll come along and give you this budget, and then because everything wasn't just a superhero movie, like people go to the theaters for dramas and stuff. You can, right. like, oh, I could just make great dramas, and then you know they'll give me a budget, and then I'll put it in theaters, and eventually it'll like make money. And it's like now, where is it gonna fit in the theater? Right. You know this. It's there's only superhero movies and every now and then there's like a teen horror movie mm-hmm. and it's like so you can't go to theaters so you put it on streaming but then amazon prime doesn't give you any real money netflix i realized i was talking to some people that had a friend that got their film on a few films on netflix and the thing about it, the way it works is like they were talking about how netflix doesn't unless you have like a really hot film and then everyone it's like a bidding war over who gets to put it out mm-hmm. then they're not going to pay you any money up front you just put it on netflix and then it's kind of like again like streaming mm-hmm. how however many people watch it is how much money you make off of it and they're right. talking about how they have friends that like put it on netflix but the thing is if you're not on the front page of netflix you're not on netflix basically right like no one's gonna like find your movie like oh yeah that one movie uh what's it called let me search it no. yeah they like, click and scroll and click right yeah. so it's like yeah, so they were just talking about how they didn't make any money off of it. Just is they get to say the films on Netflix, but it's like that's cool, but like I don't see it. Right. Yeah. And so it's 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 an interesting time where 
you can't just be good at the art. You have to be good at finding out how to like then make a commerce off the art. Like like I guess how she was talking about how it's like off of brand deals and sponsorships, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the hardest part. It's like, hey, I want to, you know, pitch Trace of this and that, but just like it's you and like literally a million other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's, you know, deterring me from doing such, but um, they just have their marketing figured out a lot better than I do. Mm-hmm. And so I need to kind of get on that level. I see what you, you mean. Know what I'm and so um, I want to do the festival circuit and I think I will, but I'd rather just do viewings like I am mm-hmm. and just public screenings and advertise it through Instagram mm-hmm. and like posters and flyers and whatever else. And just through word of mouth um, from people I meet and just try to build the audience that way. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of going necessarily through like the big wig route mm-hmm. um, at first anyway. So, yeah. It's in, yeah, I um I see what you mean there. I think um yeah, doing the the screenings and stuff is a good idea cuz it's all about just creating a uh, a demand for your product. Right. You know, it's like it's like if you thought about it, like it's any, selling anything. You know, mm-hmm. you have to first give out those free samples. Mm-hmm. Um or at least very like low price samples before right. you can get somebody to buy into the, the brand of it mm-hmm. so that makes sense that yeah. makes sense yeah so that's what i want to do and i know some festivals are kind of like well it can only can't be online and da da da, da. Mm-hmm. so i'm very specific on what festivals like if it doesn't say in the rules i'm going to do it mm-hmm. if it decides it in the rules i'm not going to do it yeah or i could do it then take it down yeah and then right. submit mm-hmm. you know because mm-hmm. I, I don't think these festivals i mean you know, I don't think they look into all the projects that mm-hmm. get submitted or at least selected. Um, so, yeah. You know, like a quick Google search just to make yeah. sure it's not right on YouTube with thousands of views. Right. But, yeah. So. I, yeah, it's interesting thing because I was talking to some people um, who have pitched a lot of their ideas to different people in the industry. <clears throat> and they were just talking about how, you know, the film festival route is kind of like in again like how we're talking about like you have to find out a new way to do things like they're talking about the film festival route is kind of like dried up like it's there's just so many of them Mm -hmm. that it's like unless you're in tribeca or in you know sundance or any of those like the the, the big ones yeah yeah the really big ones too Mm -hmm. not even like you know even like not to crap on them but like even atlanta film festival might not be big enough to like really get in big time investors excited mm-hmm. they're just talking about how like the film festival route is it's good for just being able to like get your name out there and connect with people and start getting like some some clout in the industry a mm-hmm. little bit just because you could it's better than just not having anything right right but they are talking about like how again like it's so much of us like actually meeting people in the film industry and like having real connections with them to where they feel like it's almost like not necessarily they got to do you a favor and put the thing out but almost like okay i know that they're it's not even necessarily i believe in the idea i believe in them you know Mm -hmm. i believe in this person who is pitching this idea to me right as not even so much that i believe in the idea Mm -hmm. because it it did so well at festivals right so i think that's that's smart that you're trying to go about it in a more kind of like direct to consumer route mm-hmm. um for me I, I, I try to do festivals because i just want that i want when i advertise it to people to like have some sort of 
mark that hey this is like quality yeah like, so i can have all the laurels like winner of this winner of this winner of this yeah because like people in the industry don't care because they see it and then they're like oh you just won this little festival i've never heard of right but, like people when you put it when i put it out to instagram or like try to promote promote it once i actually put it out mm-hmm. i look at it like pro- people will probably be like oh well, this is not just a movie like this is a movie that or a short film series that actually went to festivals right and won. but it, but it's difficult though because i'm still trying to Man, I'm still trying to like figure out. That's the big thing for 2020 is figuring out how to make those connections in the film and music industry, where it's mm-hmm. like have people that are really figure out how to make money off of this and mm-hmm. how to actually get projects like made and get them right. going with right. the budget. Like get to get into those conversations with people and figure out like because I'm being long winded, but I'm trying to come. come I'm trying to figure out how to like say what I'm trying to say. You, it's almost like as as a, I think the thing is the first step as a creative is just coming up with like being able to make something good, right? Like because that's hard. It's so hard. Mm-hmm. It's not like a normal job where there's a, you know, you go in and you do the things on the sheet that they tell you to do, and right. if you do them and you just do them well, you right. know what I mean? It's like with film and music, if you do something that's been done before, it's a copy, so no one wants to watch right. it. But if you do something that no one's done before, it might be trash, and that's why no one's done it. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like. You, you have to find that your lane that takes years and years and years right and then on top of that you have to figure out how to like get other people to believe in it right <laughs> and that takes years and right years and, and the next thing you know you're like oh damn okay yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a hard thing man trying to figure out how to make it good and then mm-hmm. not just good but then get it out to people and make it a, a viable um money making option for everyone mm-hmm. involved right you know I- i'm on the same boat yeah that's yeah. the next step yeah definitely so i haven't said it this whole podcast just because we've been so in depth with the conversation but i'm finding it better when your audio mm. is like uh if you lean this way gotcha i'll move the mic a yeah. little bit move the mic there you go test one testing, two testing 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 let me try to find the sweet spot yeah. sweet spot keep going check 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 right check. there okay interesting yeah so I, you might be able to rotate the mic in the actual mount. I wonder which type of mic is this? Is this one of the ones? Am I supposed to be speaking into the side of this actually this whole time? Check, check, check. Yeah. Oh, this is one of those. Okay. Yeah. Got you, got you. Yeah. All right. Well. I mean, an hour in. Let's do this. It's all good. <laughs> um. I couldn't tell what the thing was. I should know. I record myself. There we go. That's check. Awesome. All right. That's cool. I mean, I'm not super picky. Um, unless you're like, hey, yeah, right here, like, so, um, <laughs> yeah, so this podcast, forget your audio quality, right? Um, I gotta fix this thing now. <clears throat> I guess I just go this way. I'll just keep it here. Um, is there any? I'm trying to think. So actually, um, I'm curious to know, uh. What is the fourth installment? Can you give me like a log line without, you know, ruining too much? Or is no, that still on the? Log? I'm definitely not gonna spoil too much because it's okay. not it's not even all there yet. Okay. Um, hard to give like I can't give a succinct log line because I, I I don't even know exactly what's gonna happen. But it's basically about Kyla and Janine from the second who's mm-hmm. her who's her therapist and she's in the second film. Mm-hmm they're going to meet up and they're going to realize that 
they both share something oh. uh, in common. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those. So they're they're but they're gonna meet up and they're gonna realize that they both have a certain like certain special abilities. And okay. then from that point I'm trying to figure out what's the what is the conflict that they're gonna okay. face. Cause we know me and me and Kai are gonna write it together. And we were talking because I really I'm super big and we can talk about this because since we're both directors, we should um, like just directing actors and our philosophies around it. Because for mm-hmm. me, I know I'm not an actor, so I have so much respect for actors and their ability to, to do what they do. Mm-hmm. So it's like I definitely now that she's done two for me, I want her in the writing room so that she because she knows what it's like to be Kyla. Mm-hmm. Kaya knows what it's like to be Kyla. So it's like. We're going to work on that and figure out what the conflict is, what they have to face, all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. We, I want it to be like, I want the, the fourth one, I do want it to truly develop into the superhero lane that I see it going into. I want you to see like, oh, I want it to be like you watch it and go, that's what this all is. Oh, it's like a Marvel Universe type. Oh, okay. They're gonna, gotcha. They got powers. Like, it's all connected. Yeah. Can I make one suggestion? Mm-hmm. Can we not shoot in the woods again? <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere with some infrastructure that you right. can like sit with down and heat. <laughs> yeah, we could definitely do that. We can definitely do that. Not that I don't like shooting in the woods, but you know she got uh, poison ivy. Yeah, did I? Uh, well, I, I I was just saying you know as a figure of speech, but oh, Kaya got poison ivy. Oh, did she? Yeah, in the oh, woods. Really? I was like, I was like, I um. Oh, do you want to like make an insurance claim? She was like, "No, I'm good." I'm like, "Okay, good," because I don't even know the process. Of that. <laughs> I mean, I have insurance. I had to but... ask just to be, you know, kosher and professional. But you're like, like, please say no, please. Right, right. I'm like, because uh, I don't want my premiums to go up. Yeah. So if she's if she ever listens to this, now right. you know the truth. Yeah, exactly. Shouts out to Kaya. Thank you yeah. for that. Did was it bad or was it just like in one spot? I, judging from, because she was like, we were just texting about it, so she was just like, "Oh, it's not that bad." LOL. So I guess it wasn't that bad. Okay. But I guess it probably was just like one little spot. I don't think it was like crazy all over her body. Right. Poison ivy, dude. Uh, our speaking of poison ivy, our backyard when we first moved in, like we did some major like landscaping. We still have a lot to work to do, but we, the previous owners just didn't give a crap about the yard. We mm. we found like old like lights like fluorescent mm. tube lights oh, and wow. just like whiskey bottles you know colt 45 or something mm. like that anyway just a bunch of random junk and so like there's a lot of like english ivy back there mm-hmm. and uh so i had like taken the mower and like weed whacker and shorts and this is the summertime so i'm just like you know mowing everything down and i wasn't even paying attention to what's actually back there mm-hmm. and there was poison ivy oh wow. and it got me from literally from head to toe oh like my, my face was swollen like <laughs> for like, how long for like a week and a half. Whoa, I didn't yeah, know it lasted dude, it, that long. It was so bad. Wow. Like I probably should have went to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> but I was just like, I'm I'm just gonna write it out. Yeah. And so I mean like every day washing the sheets and stuff. Mm-hmm. Just because the oil and like, you know, try not to get Megan yeah. that too. So Is it contagious? The oil, once it gets in your skin, huh. That's what gets you uh, all looking like tumorous. Mm. So I know that. Yeah, so um, that's why usually when you get it, like if it's a small patch, you just bandage it, just wrap mm. it in gauze. Okay. And then obviously wash it with, you know, soap and stuff to dry out the oil. But that's if you're actually taking care of it. Right. So, and obviously I didn't. <laughs> but I didn't know at the time. Um, 
until it was too late. Right. So oil already had set into places that, you know. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, so. We also poison ivy. That's a bitch. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that it wasn't head to toe for her because she had to work the next day. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, so tell me about your philosophy. Like, how do you, so what's your philosophy if you have one about directing actors? Um, I think it's developed more. I mean, only this is technically my second, like, actual like professional project mm-hmm. um for sad mad glad i didn't really have a philosophy um and i think that's because i knew that christina dominic were they were seasoned mm-hmm. and so they knew how to approach mm-hmm. the character um if there were something specific that i wanted them to do or say or you know an act out um it would be but being that it's a comedy um, I guess you would approach it in different ways based on different genres as well. But like for comedy, um, since they had good chemistry together, a lot of that I would just let them kind of, you know, work with each other on that and mm-hmm. let that performance kind of just naturally come about versus trying to like force something. Right. Um, yeah. I think, so I guess my philosophy is just get, making sure the chemistry is right mm-hmm. off the bat. Yeah, and I think once that chemistry is established and well connected, that will show in the performance. I agree. So, um, for Trace, same kind of thing. Uh, and being that Amanda has had eyes on the script for three years, mm. she kind of had time to really. Well, she did the the basement scene True. where they meet. That was the only thing that she saw, but she already had an idea of who Abby was, and so she's had that time. I don't know if she took the time to study that. <laughs> But she's, you know, had that time period to really kind of understand and dive back into who Abby is. Mm. Um, I think Christina is just a natural at taking a character and understanding who it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and being that it was a male character to begin with, taking that persona and then using almost a masculine approach as mm. a female character worked right. pretty well. So, mm-hmm. um, does that answer your question? No, that's good. I think because I think we have a common ground in the sense that it sounds like you really give a lot of space for the actors, yeah, to just do what they what they right. do. Like that's what they're here to do. I don't want to. Um, I think that was. Uh, I think you know, like you see those masterclass videos come up. I think Scorsese comes up as like a YouTube ad, mm-hmm. and he's like the number one thing is like, not the number one thing, but a good thing for actors to do is just let them be themselves. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the characters themselves, but like he talks about this in uh, Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. Or I'm sorry, not Raging Bull, Taxi Driver oh, okay. with De Niro. Um, I think there's a scene where he's like, just let him pound a beer and like, he's just, you just do it. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Martin Sheen where he like breaks the mirror. Mm-hmm. Like that wasn't planned in right. Apocalypse Now. Same thing with DiCaprio cutting his hand. You didn't mean to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like most people would have stopped the scene, director would have cut, but no, he just let him roll and he just stayed with it. Mm-hmm. So giving actors that freedom to explore and venture into somewhere that they normally wouldn't do because the director wouldn't allow them to Yeah, really changes the performance in a certain scene. Mm-hmm. So I agree. Yeah. I, I completely agree because it's like, for instance, I look at being a director, almost like being a, a host. Mm-hmm. It's like being a, a, a host for a party, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, you have to, you can't, Everyone hates the host. It's like, okay, everyone, we like we have all these structured ide- activities. You have to do them. Come right, on. Right. I have like, an itinerary. Yeah. Like yeah. everyone hates that person. So it's like they want the person that's like, <clears throat> okay, you get there and everything's set up. If, and if anyone's feeling look 
kind of awkward or like left mm-hmm. out you you come in and you swoop them up right <clears throat> but you just let people have fun and you let people do what it is they came to do right and that's how i look at being a director is like that's that's why i like doing so many different rehearsals i like you know people you know it's funny because everyone like for my for the last short film we did i think we did not even counting the action rehearsal just just talking about like the the dialogue rehearsals i think we did three or four for a short film mm-hmm. and it was just not even like that much dialogue in it right. and i could tell people like i would call them on the phone and stuff i could tell that they were just like oh do we have to rehearse again like come <laughs> on it's like four right. lines yeah. but then it's like they get there and they start running it and then they get fully into it and then mm-hmm. next thing you know they're giving you you know like, oh well, what about this can i change this line here and right. it's like see now you know why i do so many because it's like i need you to feel like by the time you get to set i need you to feel like you can just play right you know what i mean it's just a party and we're just here to do what we came to do mm-hmm. and i don't like doing a lot of di- i don't like doing the the heavy lifting of directing on set mm-hmm. i like doing all the stuff of like like the stuff like this line doesn't work for me can i change it yeah what do you want to change it to this okay well can you still keep this okay fine you know what i mean like right. um oh like when you're saying all the little character misunderstandings of oh no no she's um she's hopeful when she says that oh i thought she was set no she's hopeful got you okay like all those little like changes that you make as a director is i don't like doing that on set i want to like on set all i want is like okay can you be a little bit more to the left like those technical things Mm -hmm. but then just let them play Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think how you talked about your evolution of being a director at first like sets from sad mad glad to trace Mm -hmm. um i to talk about mine i think for me as a director for directing actors, I look at it like at first I was like, I, I w- always wanted to make sure I was giving enough. Mm-hmm. Like I always wanted to make sure I was like, Hey, like, um, you're not like, okay. I always want to make sure like what if they asked a question, I was like, well, your motivation is this. And like, I used to like try to give so much. <laughs> and now I like, sometimes I just don't even, they're like, Oh, do you have any notes? I'm like, uh, no, I'm like, I like to know. Like, let's just move on. Yeah. Or let's, let's just do it again. Mm-hmm. Because it's like I don't want to cloud their mind with too much. So now right. it's like I actually try to give the l- just what's necessary, mm-hmm. you know. Because it's like if I start being like, "Oh, well, actually, like her motivation is this," and so can you like think about how she has to when you're, it's like that's just too much for somebody mm-hmm. when they're trying to just be in the moment, right? So now it's like I'm trying to like say the as little as possible mm-hmm. and give as a few notes as possible and then i look at like if you aren't doing if you're not if you're really just like hacking it up mm-hmm. if you're just terrible that's my fault for casting you <laughs> right <laughs> you know what i mean being honest. yeah it's like they say like directing is 60 or 80 i can't remember the exact percentage but like directing is 60 percent casting yeah and it's like it totally is because it's like if you just can't act I shouldn't have casted you. Right. You know what I mean? Or, or if you can, and this just isn't the role for you, that's my fault. That's mm-hmm. not yours. Right. So at that point, it's just like, I just got to take the L. It's not even like I can really teach you how to act on set. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's not, that's what class is for. Right. So it's like, I can't. So that's when I, when I realized that, or even just certain things, like I just try to be super direct now. Mm-hmm. Like it used to be like somebody, I read somewhere in some directing book, like it says, don't tell an actor, be more sad. Like, tell them a specific and i'm like and then i was talking to dominic one time and i was telling him asking him about that like how he feels about somebody telling you be more sad or be more he's like you know <laughs> i'm curious because i don't think i've had this conversation with him so yeah it was good because i think we was driving we were driving somewhere from matt sam mcglad he happened to be in the car with me, oh, okay. so we were just talking as we were driving 
and he was like you know he's like sometimes that stuff is good he's like but most of the time it's like dude if you want me to be more sad just tell me to be more sad like <laughs> <laughs> he's like I, i'm a like i I'm an actor. My entire living living is like knowing how to be emotions. So sometimes it's most of the time I realize when an actor isn't giving you what you want, it's not because they can't or because they need some deep explanation to bring it Mm -hmm. out of them. I mean, I think as directors, we have this ego where we're like, oh, I facilitate the performances and without me, they couldn't do really in reality. They just didn't, they just weren't on, you just weren't on the same page. Right. You know what I mean? In reality, yeah, they know they, they know how to be more sad. Mm-hmm. It's just that they didn't think they needed to. Yeah. You know, or if they're not making unique enough choices for you, that's one thing that's like, okay, if I feel like they're acting the role kind of obviously, mm-hmm. then I might just tell them what I, again, just tell them what I want. Okay. Like, can you not cry there? Can you actually like smile? Because I think she would be trying to cover up her sadness. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't need to be less. Hmm. Well, in the philosophical viewpoint of this certain moment in time, <laughs> yeah. the character is 60% sad, 20% confused mm-hmm. and 10% hungry. Right. And then they're just like, <laughs> so should I cry? <laughs> right. And then 10% because whatever else, because I missed the numbers. But anyway, mm. yeah. Yeah, so that's that's my philosophy on this. Like, I'm trying to do as little as possible. I'm trying to get out the way, mm-hmm. and I just that's directing is my actors is my favorite part of directing. Yeah, even because even in which as a cinematographer, you expect it to be the camera, but to me, it's it's definitely like working with actors, mm-hmm. which is so fun to me because that's the part where it's like magic. Right. Like I wrote these lyrics, I wrote lyrics, I wrote these words down on a page, mm-hmm. uh, came up with all the technical stuff. And at this level, we're producing it all. So I produce, right. I'm doing all the technical stuff, mm-hmm. but with the actors take it and make it into like this make-believe land. Mm-hmm. This like, cool. they make it, they, they take you back to when you were a kid, just playing, make them, you know, imagine playing with your imagination. Right. You know, so after all the technical stuff, after all the money you spent, after all the stuff, it just becomes like a very childlike fun thing right? when the actors get in and they can really do, do it well. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so fun to me is like, you forget, I forget how much money I've spent on it, how much, how uncomfortable I am, how much time I'm doing this. Right. All that stuff goes away when I get to see the actor really become this character, this three dimensional mm-hmm. character that I wrote Same. on a piece of paper. You yeah. Know? Yeah. When, uh, when we were in production for Trace, I was just like, I'm spending so much money. <laughs> right. It's just like, oh, we need we need this. Okay, cash out. You know, whatever. It's just like that got really stressful. But like, um, I think at the premiere itself, it's mm-hmm. just like all that shit just faded. Like, yeah. just dropped away. Like, we're here. This is it. It's happened. Mm-hmm. The performances were on point. Um, so all of that time, money, and effort spent, it was, you know, minuscule compared to what you know is in front of us currently so yeah so i totally agree um i I have a couple more just so we can get some good film talk in here yeah before we go i have a couple topics that i wanted to ask you about so like which do you enjoy more do you enjoy pre-production production production, or like post-production when you're putting it out or like when you're a release more like which is your favorite part um i like production more um Mm -hmm. not to say that one or the other is more important um Sorry, I'm hearing something weird. Um, no, I enjoy production, I would say, the most just because that's the time where you're interacting with people at the most. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, you're building connections, you're building relationships, and then you're having fun. Because post, it's usually just you yeah, um, in a room for who knows how many hours mm-hmm. a day. 
Um, and so there is some, there is joy there because you're, it's another avenue of creativity, but I get more joy of just like, you know, just, just working with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also learning from them as well. Like, I don't know if you read the card, the thank you card from, yeah, from the premiere and like, you know, being that we're both DPs, I think honestly you're a better DP than I am just oh, because you. you've taken more time to focus on that. Mm. Despite, you know, you know, producing and directing your own shorts, you also are able to come in with very minimal like mood boards, lighting diagrams and setups like that and come out and produce something that is exactly what I wanted mm. without really me conveying that in a full detailed layout. Gotcha. Does that make sense? And mm. so that, with that being said, I took, uh, you know, I was directing, you know, you know, and just doing whatever else, but is also paying attention to what everyone else is doing. Like, oh, Michael put the light there. Why did he put that there? Mm-hmm. And then after in post, like he put it there because of this and mm-hmm. that and other gotcha. things like that. And so I'm learning on set and I'm also learning in post. So, mm-hmm. so I think that's what I enjoy the most. Okay. Learning on set. Yeah, I agree too. I think production is... Production is when you get to live the dream. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Editing is obviously editing it. Right. And making it a reality. And then putting it out. It's funny because I, I get to the point where it's like, like the last two films I did, like the, the, the second one is in festival consideration now. And then the third one I still have to edit because I've been still tightening up the second one. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, ah, I'll get to the third one. You know what I mean? Because it's like, uh, it's like I, I have to like, force myself to like actually finish it because it's like the production to me is the it's like you said it's the fun part because you're actually communicating with people mm-hmm. you're actually you know taking this thing that really should be like a grueling experience especially like an action film in the woods mm-hmm. like it should be like you said like it's not film in the woods <laughs> like it should be this absolutely miserable thing but then it's because of what you're doing right especially for the actors and the director it like actually becomes this very fun thing yeah and it's like you know, as, as growing up, I was always a very introverted person and I was always the weird kid. So it's like, it's fun to kind of, it's almost like a stunt to be able to like now be the person that brings people together. And it's right. like, they're looking to me to like, well, if you aren't here doing it, then no one's going to be here. Mm-hmm. So that's fun. Kind of like, um, after growing up the way I did, like being able to have that experience of being the leader is really fun to me. And then also like the more humble you are as a director, the better director you'll be. Mm-hmm. So it was like cool because I don't have to be this rah rah type of guy. I can just mm-hmm. be like, because I played football all growing up, and you had to be like, ah, high but, energy. Yeah, high energy. High, but then it's like a director, the more calm, cool, and collect you are, like the better it all goes. Right. So that production process is is definitely my favorite. Yeah. Is there um, I guess planning would probably be the best cure for this, but is there a certain way you go about remaining uh, clear headed on set when, mm-hmm. especially when things start to go awry? Yeah. Um, again, I'm blessed because I'm a very naturally clear headed person. Like everything could be falling around and around. My mom, you, my mom can attest to this. She like, there's times where she's like, why are you so calm about this? Like, literally, <laughs> your house is on fire. She sheds on fire, Cheryl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like that. And I'm just like, ah, you know, um, how do I stay clear headed on set when things aren't, are going awry? Um, Hmm. How do I? Weed. Weed. <laughs> I just smoke a lot of weed. I disappear for ten minutes. Come back smelling <laughs> like grass. Um. No, nah, I, I just think. 
maybe I should study that more because to be honest, I think it's just something that comes naturally to me. Mm-hmm. It's like because I, I guess because I look at it like I always love that. You ever watch Waiting, the movie with Ryan Reynolds? Yeah. He, he said in it, um, Waiting, he said worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never gets you anywhere. Yeah. And I was, it's a, such a silly movie, and I don't really remember anything else from it except for Aaron and Ferris that song, Forgiveness. Oh yeah. It's more than saying <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Which is actually a good song when you right. listen to it. Yeah, it lyrically makes sense. <laughs> but um, no, that that phrase always stuck with me. Okay. So I think, and I saw that movie at probably too young of an age, honestly. But yeah, <laughs> like, so it stuck with me all through my life. So it was a reason mm-hmm. I saw it because I always took that to heart. Like, mm-hmm. no matter what you're doing, like worrying and freaking out is, is only going to make it worse. Right. Especially on a film set where things are expensive. And if you're like, I just, uh, and you drop something and it, it oh, shatters. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. yeah. It's like a thousand dollars, more than a thousand dollars. Thousands of dollars, you know, gone. Mm-hmm. So you got it. Like you have to stay calm, cool and collected. Right. And especially the bigger sets you're on, the more you do, because there's yeah. more on the line. So right. it's like, and I feel like that, that behavior calm or, you know, freaked out reciprocates through mm. all of the people on set absolutely and uh yeah so. yeah if you're calm everybody else will be calm right if there's like even if it's a hurricane and you're shooting outside everyone's like should we be worried and you're like nah i mean liability insurance probably but <laughs> <laughs> yeah all brought, but now we're just gonna change the script hurricane happens in it yeah exactly yeah okay um and there was another, there was another topic i wanted to talk to you about after we got into the really in depth on the acting one, which is good, there's one thing I wanted to ask you uh, about directing. Um, I think it'll come back to me, but a different one is coming to me now. So, like, what are your biggest, what are your biggest influences, and how? What would you? This is a good one. What are your biggest influences, and what would you like to do drastically different in the film industry? than everyone else um what are my influences just in terms of projects i create or just in general like what what who what directors films actually like made you fired up to make films um i would say trying to debate and give examples um I think what inspired me was the cinematography of Minority Report mm. and um, was the one with, I think it was AI, mm-hmm. um, with I think Jude Law and what, I forget the little kid's name. Yeah. Um, just the cinematography of that and um, anything Roger Deakins. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just so good. Like Brilliant. A, yeah. Like, I haven't seen 1917, but like, you know, the one takes in that movie mm-hmm. that they highlight is just brilliant. Yeah. Even though they hide it in post. Yeah. They all make, you know, um, just things like that. And then um, things I want to do differently in the industry. I think just making, like, making content that means something, something to me, but with a twist. Like, I don't think and I haven't done my research, I don't think I've seen anything quite like Sad, Mad, and Glad. Mm-hmm. I think Netflix just came out with something close with Paul Rudd. True. Um, but maybe not to the level that, you know, Sad, Mad, Glad is. And uh, because that story has elements of that 
that are incorporated from my life, just mm-hmm. obviously exaggerated. Yeah. Um, and so just things like that, that mean something to me and make it, I guess, relatable mm-hmm. in a way, but have a twist on it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Like a sad Megalad is like, it's about coming to terms with your emotions as a man, which right. is something that like all men probably have to work on. Right. But then you take it and make it into this whole zany concept where it's right. like your emotions are literally different people that right. you have to get in control of. Right. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Now that you say it like that. So, um, I mean, I, Trace probably doesn't explore things like that as mm-hmm. much, uh, just cause of its genre and its, its structure of the story itself. But, um, I think, I think this will be different because I think it has just a bit of everything into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you got like supernatural, you have your police procedural, you know, NCIS, CSI mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then you also have, uh, like the magical realism kind of thing to it as well. So just trying to blend a bunch of ideas and genres together mm-hmm. without it just being a chaotic mess and no one's going to want to participate right. in watching right. it. So I think that's what I want to do. What about you? Um, so influences, I'm a huge Terrence Malick fan. Okay. Um, like my favorite movie of all time is to the wonder. Okay. Which is like his romance film he made that nobody liked, but I like that one cause I'm a romantic. So that one's dope. Um, and then, I like obviously into the wild is a huge influence on me just in terms of like being able to make films that really make people feel something Mm -hmm. because that made me feel something. And then probably the other influence is just so wide ranging in terms of influences that it's like, we could be here all day talking about movies that got me into, you know, filmmaking. So I move on to um, things I want to do drastically different for me. It's like, I kind of want to be like the Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole of filmmaking, how they can make hits, but they always have something to say. Mm -hmm. There's always like, it's conscious, but it's not like niche. It's not like just people who listen to Kendrick's rap, listen to J. Cole or Kendrick. Like Mm -hmm. they have mainstream hits that actually say something important. It's not just like one or the other, like, oh, you're either saying something or it's successful. Yeah. So, cause I feel like so many movies nowadays, they don't have anything to say. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, they might be, interesting they're like a good spectacle like all mm-hmm. the superhero movies and then not even the superhero movies so many movies like on netflix and stuff that you can watch it's like that was good but what did it have to say like, about society what was the worldview mm-hmm. you know what i mean you, you directors to me nowadays a lot of them don't may, aren't thinking about what is your worldview and what are you trying to mm-hmm. you know what change are you trying to inspire yeah. so it's like all of my ideas like even the camera loves kyla and as it develops I think people will see more like that is about to me. It's about like trying to it's about faith because eventually it'll have like a not, not religious, but like a spiritual component to it. Mm-hmm. It's about finding like being lost as a person and like trying to find yourself. It's about um, and then it's even about like certain things like with him. I look like it's got me too in there with him, like asking her out after interviewing her. And so mm-hmm. it's like got a few different political, like social topics in it. Mm-hmm. And then every idea I have is like, it really comes from me. It's the same way I write songs. Like I write songs, not kind of for me, but I write them really more. Cause I want to say something that's going to like pour into somebody's spirit and help them out. Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with my movies. I want them to like, not just be an entertaining movie, 
but I want them to actually like someone to watch that movie and be like, they got something from it in their soul. Mm -hmm. So that's something I want to do different. And then also, like you said, mixing genres together and being able to like, for instance, make a superhero franchise that is black female led. Mm -hmm. That's completely different. And then also do it with a real social purpose. Like, like I said, like everything, always give people like the candy and the medicine together, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, I have a few action movie ideas that are like there. I wanted to be so balls to the wall action. Like I wanted to be like, like the idea I have that I was telling you earlier about like the girl who only, who like is who in the post-apocalyptic movie, whose name Roxy, like she's going to be a mercenary. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be all these different, um, all these different, opportunities for us to do crazy shootout sequences right you know what i mean and it's like that's something but at the same time it's still it's called this is america because it's kind of like about like how bad it could get if we let all this you know the stuff we were talking about earlier with like racism and mm-hmm. you know xenophobia and all this stuff get really bad yeah it's gonna be kind of like a cautionary tale for america but wrapped within a really fun action movie right you know what i mean i don't want to do anything that's just preachy i want to do something that you can enjoy mm-hmm. i have another idea about um about uh the called traps about like um drug dealers and it's like the idea is like you know nowadays everyone listens to trap music and like everything is trapped this trap that mm-hmm. but it's like at the same time we're locking up all these people for drug related offenses mm-hmm. and it's like kind of about how you know how about we it's like a it'll be a stark look at that lifestyle and be like look like this isn't something that we can just co-opt and say like it's cool in music but then sit here and like throw the book at people for 60 years just for selling some drugs right you know what i mean so it's like that but it's gonna be a fun like hood action movie you know shootouts and drug deals and all that stuff that you expect right so i really want to that's the thing i really want to change is to show people that you can really say something with your movies you can really make people feel something but then you don't have, doesn't mean it doesn't have to be entertaining. It doesn't have to be this Oscar baby, like right. dry movie. It can be fun mm-hmm. and do that. So that'd be probably what I want to change. Okay. Well, probably a better answer than mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think yours I is feel good like, too. I feel like you've had time to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's why he asked it. Yeah, maybe weird. Huh? I feel like that's how that works. Um, do you have anything else you, you want to add? Say, mm. plug? I think this would be a good time to plug. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'll go down the list. So, um, stay on the lookout for my my short film series, "The Camera Loves Kyla," which is going to be called the the Kyla Connected Universe. Okay. So that's the film series name. Yeah, that's going to okay. be the series name, the Kyla okay. Connected Universe. I'll eventually like make an Instagram and a website and all that for it. Nice. Uh, but that'll be coming out probably the fr- in the next four months, five months. I just got to see what festivals they okay. get into. Um, I'll start rolling that out. Uh, like I said, single coming out on Valentine's Day. I'll probably have more music coming out like twice a month. I'll probably try to keep a good clip because I have a whole bunch of songs on my hard drive that mm-hmm. I just need to like start getting out. Starting, yeah. Yeah. So there's that. And then, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, and then, um, you know, we're, we're I'm, I'm a working director. So like if anybody listening is like, hey, I need a commercial. Hey. You know, just hit me up. Okay, you can't plug business on my <laughs> podcast. That's not how this works. You said it's the time to plug. You're cut off. No, go ahead, go ahead. No, but yeah, so, um, and then I guess my social medias and stuff um, are at the Michael Lindsay. My musical one is at Spike Lindsay. My website is rosewood.com. 
Works. That's it. www.rosewood.works. Or you could type in michaellindsayfilms.com. I have both donate domains. And I'll put those in the description as well. So cool. People can copy in and go. So, man, well, I appreciate everything coming by and uh, talking every, about basically everything. Right, yeah. And xenophobia, films, and, you know, the series that you want to do. So thanks yeah. for coming on. I appreciate it, man. Thanks Thank for you. inviting me. Absolutely.